Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we know that you love us. Father, none of us would have imagined this time last year what this world would be like today. None of us would have imagined this six months ago. Father, the world changes so quickly and it helps us to to realize that this world that we live in is is temporary. Uh, it's not secure. The things that we we typically will hold on to for security is it's a false security. But it helps us also to understand that you you are a rock. You are solid. You are steady. You are the one that we can always look to. You are the one we can always count on. And Father, we thank you for that. We know that you are sovereign. We know that you are powerful. We know that you are love. And so, Father, we draw close to you. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And, and so, Father, we, we open our hearts up to you today. Father, I ask that you, you change us that you hold us more into your image and that you help us to, to live our lives out in this world the way that you would and the way that you did. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning... I want to take a, a brief pause of the the series that we're going through. I want to take a few minutes. Uh, I want to talk about a man that has greatly impacted my life, uh, Ravi Zacharias. As I'm sure some of you are aware, Ravi passed away last Tuesday, May 19th the Tuesday before last. And uh, while I had gotten emails saying that he was battling cancer and and the doctors uh, said that they could do all they could, still at the same time, even though uh, we were being updated and posted, it was still rather unexpected. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people who have had a huge impact uh, on it, different people's lives when it comes to their faith. One name that is well known all around the world, especially in this country, is Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham had a huge impact on many, many, many people. But Billy Graham was before my time. Now, that doesn't deny the fact that, that the ripple effects from the effects that he had on people were definitely felt by me and, and all of us. But Ravi, Ravi was born almost 30 years after Billy Graham, and Ravi had a direct impact on my life. Uh, Ravi, I would have to say, was the greatest influence Christian influential leader in the world that we know of in our time. Um, I guess the best way to put it is I would say that there's no one currently alive today that I, I know of that is that has as much of an impact on the world spiritually as Ravi did. Ravi went all around the world talking to leaders of nations all around the world, of all different faiths. Um, Ravi had a huge, huge, huge impact on the kingdom of God in this world. And his impact will be, his, his absence from this world will be felt. There's no doubt about that. Um, but there are, he built a ministry called 
RZIM, the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, you can you can go to that website at rzim.org, and you can check out uh, check out the different resources that they have. There's lots of lots of videos that you can watch and articles that you can read. He built this organization. They have over, currently over a hundred speakers around the world, um, and and it will continue. Uh, the impact that it w- will have will continue. Um, but if if you're not familiar with Ravi Zacharias, I would encourage you today to take some time to YouTube him or to go to his website, um, check out who he is. Uh, Ravi Zacharias. It was a Christian apologist, and he spent his life sharing uh, the truth of Jesus with people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different belief systems, and he defended the faith. He defended Christianity, and he articulated it, and he explained it in, in a way that people could understand and people could reach out and grasp and and wrestle with these truths and come to embrace them. And he did an he did an amazing job. Ravi uh was a very brilliant man, a very intelligent man. And so I I want to honor his memory and the impact that he's had on the Christian community and the kingdom of God on this earth uh by spending this hour talking about him and the impact he's had on me and what he has done uh, for the Christian faith and the Christian community. One thing I want to talk about, and, and, and Ravi was a brilliant um, teacher. He was a brilliant apologist. He was, he was a great defender of the faith, and he was very good at articulating and teaching very, very, very complicated um, concepts and thoughts and and ideas and philosophies. And so I'm going to try to explain to you his, what's called the one, two, three, four, five grid. He started off calling it the three, four, five grid and and then expanded it to the two, three, four, five. And and now I'm, I'm calling it the one, two, three, four, five grid for finding truth or, or, or being able to, to test for truth. And this specifically applies to worldviews. So we all have a worldview. All of us has a way that we view the world, that we have a lens through which we look at the world and understand the world and, and everything that we believe and think. It all is wrapped up in what's called a worldview. And there's many different worldviews in the world. Many people look at the world through different lenses. And so I'm going to try to attempt to help explain his grid of how people can take their worldviews or, or one person can take and look at many different worldviews and try to figure out how can I, how can I examine these worldviews and decide which one's true. Because the question that's often asked is, how is it that Christians can claim to believe that what they believe is true about God and that what everybody else believes about God is not true? How is it that they can be so bold or or be so arrogant or however the question is posed, how is it that they can say that what they believe about God is true and that what others believe is not true? Um, And so that's, that's... in, in essence, what everyone must do, everyone in this life must decide what they believe, what they believe, what they don't believe, and hopefully they take a lot of time to, to work through those thoughts and to try to decide, what do I believe and why do I believe it? Do I believe this is true? And if, if, if I do, why do I believe it's true? If, if I don't believe this is true, then why do I believe it's not true? And I believe that everybody should take the time, lots and lots of time and thought to work through those questions. Because truth be told, yes, I am the pastor of this church. I do believe in Jesus Christ. I do believe in God. I do believe in the Holy Spirit. I do believe these things. But if these things were not true, I would want to know. 
Because ultimately, my soul is at stake. And so is yours. And so I've, I've had the mindset for a very, very long time of I want to know the truth regardless of what the truth is. I want to know the truth whether I like the truth or whether I don't like the truth. I want to know what's true. Because what's true is what matters. It, it, it doesn't matter if I believe things I want to believe if they're not true. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what's actually true. And so I take it very seriously to investigate truth. I take it very seriously to want to know truth. And so I'm going to try to explain this uh, grid that Ravi has developed uh, early on in his, in his ministry to help people understand and evaluate what is true, what is not true, um, is my faith true? Can I, can I believe that my faith is true? Is, is, is Christianity true? Is atheism true? Is Islam true? Um, is Hinduism true? What is, what is true? What is right? And I know that I won't do near the justice that Ravi and the members of RZIM do, um, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to do my best. Uh, to help explain this. This is a very in-depth and complicated uh, um, grid when you first look at it. Uh, but, but don't worry. Please don't, don't take off. Don't turn away. Don't flip to something else. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through what each number stands for. What is the one? What is the two? What is the three? What is the four? What is the five? I'm going to run through those real quick. Um, I'm not going to explain them. And then when I get done telling you what they all are, then I'm going to go back and we're going to work through it slowly. And I'm going to try my best to help explain each one of these things so that you can grasp it and understand it and have something that you can then use to evaluate what you believe, what others believe, and hopefully walk away with a stronger faith. Or if you're new to the faith or, or even questioning whether or not this is true, hopefully I can give you a grid that you can use that you can then start evaluating what you believe. So don't, don't take off when I go through these. Uh, just bear with me, and then we'll try to work through these one by one. So let's look over them real quickly. What is the one, two, three, four, five grid? Well, one stands for truth. Uh, one is truth. And what it is, is it's the pursuit of truth. And so the question is, uh, what is true? And the ultimate pursuit that Ravi says that we're searching after is truth. So one is we're trying to find truth. The number two stands for correspondence and coherence. And so what this is, is this is, this is, well, let me just, let me just, I said I was going to run through them and then we're going to go through them in detail. So let me just run through them real quick. One is truth. Two is correspondence and coherence. Three is logical consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance. Four is origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And five is uh, theology, epistemology, metaphysics, ethics, anthropology, or God, knowledge, reality, morality, and man. And obviously, all of that's a mouthful, and all of it seems to be very confusing. But, but let's go slowly, let's break it down, and let's see what each one of these is about. So like I said, number one is truth. What this is, is this is a grid to figure out how to evaluate if a worldview is true. These are a way that we can look at a worldview, look at it in detail, and decide, do I believe this is true or not? Um, when people are looking for truth, there's two categories of truth. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we test the truth? How do we know if something is true? And there's two main categories for that. Uh, one of those categories is called correspondence. Cor uh, it's a correspondence theory. The other is called the coherence theory. So the two stands for the two categories of truth. is correspondence theory and coherence. And so a way for you to help understand what this is, is imagine a court of law, as Ravi put it. Imagine that you have a witness on a stand, an attorney is asking this witness questions. And so the attorney wants to know the truth 
as does the jury, as does the judge, as does everybody. We want to know the truth. And so when, when the witness is asked certain questions, we listen carefully to their answers. And there's two things we're looking for. One, we're looking, do their answers correspond with reality? Do their answers correspond with the facts? So we have a set of facts, and we're trying to figure out what the truth is of a certain matter. We have a set of facts. We, we, know, we, we know something. We, we can see evidences of something. And so we're trying to dig in and figure out all the details and the truth behind all these pieces of evidence. And so we want to know, do the answers given to us, do they correspond with the evidence? Do they correspond with reality? Because for it to be true, then that truth or that, those propositions, those, those statements those must correspond with reality. Those must correspond with what we know and can see. And, and so that's the correspondence. There's also a coherence. It can't just correspond with the facts. All the, everything the witness says must also be coherent. It must all work together. It must all mesh together. Um, you can't say one thing that contradicts something else if it's not coherent then we can't, we can't recognize that as truth. So truth is, it corresponds to reality. It corresponds to what we know to be true. And it also is coherent. And so those are the two things that we look for in truth, correspondence and coherence. The three, when we're looking for truth, there's three tests for truth. There's logical consistency empirical adequacy and experiential relevance. And, and that's a mouthful, especially for, for us from Yatesville, okay? <laughs> that, is, that is a mouthful. So let's break that down. Logical consistency. All we're saying here is the propositions that are given to us, the, the statements that are given, the, um, the, 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 the things that are said, that this is what we believe. Is it logically consistent? So... All the different things that we are looking at and believe, are they consistent logically? Are, are, do they consistently fit together in a way that makes sense? Because if, if they don't logically work to fit together, if it's not consistent, then it can't, it can't be, we can't put our faith in it as true. So if, for example, let me help give an example. If, if someone is a, an atheist and they're a naturalist and they believe that the only thing that exists in the universe is the natural, that there is no supernatural. They believe that everything can be explained by natural causes and that miracles don't exist. They never have existed. Supernatural beings don't exist. They never have existed. If that is their worldview, then they must be logically consistent on that stance throughout their entire worldview. And so you can't take the stance of, I believe in only the natural, I don't believe in the supernatural, I believe that everything is explained by purely natural explanations. You can't take that worldview and that stance, and then if posed or asked the question, well, how did the universe come into existence, or how did life begin on earth, you can't then say, well, I believe that, uh, that aliens must have brought life to, to earth. See, see, it doesn't work because all you're doing is you can't come up with a, a logical explanation for how a natural, a natural explanation for how life began, went from non-life to life. If you can't come up with an explanation for that, you can't then just pass it off to another explanation of saying that life started somehow somewhere else and it came here because then that just moves passes the buck on down it moves to the next well how did that alien life begin how did that life begin there eventually you can't come around to say well it supernaturally just began but then after it supernaturally began then everything followed natural course after that if you can't that would be a logical inconsistency if you're a naturalist, if you believe that there is no supernatural, then you also believe that life began somehow naturally, 
that somehow when it began, there was no supernatural involvement. That would be logically consistent. But to say that you don't believe in one thing, but then you use that thing that you don't believe in to explain something, that would be logically inconsistent. So that's all we're saying here, is that logical consistency in a worldview means that your explanations and your belief, they are consistent throughout your explanations of that worldview, that you're not changing what you believe to explain one thing and then jump to something else. Uh, The next thing is empirical adequacy. And all that means is that there is adequate empirical evidence that can be tested. So Christianity, for example, Jesus said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. Okay. Jesus said that, that he would die and that he would raise from the dead. And he specifically referred to his body. And he said, if you kill this body, I will raise it up again, the body. And so what we believe and know is that Jesus was crucified on the cross. He was buried. And then three days later, he bodily rose again. And then he showed himself to hundreds and hundreds of people over a period of 40 days in his physical body. And the tomb was empty. Okay. That was a statement or a statement that Jesus made that I will rise from the dead bodily. That was something that could be empirically tested. It would not have been empirical evidence. There would not have been, it wouldn't have been falsifiable if he had said, I will spiritually rise again. Because anyone can claim to say, I will spiritually rise again. I will spiritually come back to life if you kill me physically. And that can't be falsified. That can't be tested. There's no way to test and prove if that was true or if that was false. And so if it can't be falsified, if it can't be tested empirically, then you can't have certainty and you can't have confidence and know that it is true. You can't know. Because it can't be tested. It can't be falsified. See, Jesus' claim that he rose from the dead could be falsified. Because all you would have to do is produce the body. All you would have had to do was to find the body and produce it. And then you could have falsified the statements that were made that Jesus Jesus rose from the dead bodily that his body rose from the dead, the tomb was empty, and that he showed himself to all kinds of people all over the place. That is an empirical, uh, that, 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 could be, that could be falsifiable. That, that was adequate empirical evidence that could be tested to know if it's true. And that's what is required to know if something is true. There must be adequate empirical evidence. So there must be empirical adequacy. And the third test is experiential relevance. And so that means that what you say to be true can't just be true in theory. It can't just be true um, in, a, in, a, in a philosophy. It must also be relevant to what we actually experience. So um, it has to cohere, it has to be coherent with what we experience in life. So if what we claim to be true about our worldview, if what we claim is true about that worldview, if it doesn't match the reality we live in, if it doesn't match what we actually experience from day to day, then we can't have confidence that that's actually true. We would actually have confidence that it's not true. One thing that, uh, one good example for this experiential relevance is uh, Christianity's view of man or sin and how sin has caused all of us to fall away from God and to rebel against God and it explains the evil that we see in the world. And so when we look at the Christian theology of sin and we look at the Christian theology of evil, we actually see that. We actually experience that in the world that we live in. We can take that truth that God has given us. We can look at the world we live in and we can see that it matches. That what is being taught actually matches what we experience. And so it must be experientially relevant. 
And so those are the three tests of, of truth. Is it must be logically consistent. There must be, it, it must be empirically adequate. And it must be experientially relevant. And so that then moves us to the four questions that must be dealt with. So those are the ways that we can view and test truth. But what are the statements of truth? So every worldview has their own statements of truth. A worldview says, I believe this, I don't believe this, I believe this, I don't believe this. But it ha- you have to be able to frame, have a framework for what do you believe, not believe. And so those four questions that have to be dealt with are these. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. So every worldview has to answer these four questions. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, how did we get here? Where did we come from? Why am I here? So every worldview has to answer that question. How did we get here? Meaning, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What, what is the purpose of my life? Why do I exist? Not just how I got here, but why am I here? What is my meaning in life? Morality. So that's ethics. So morality is how do I know what is good and what is evil? How do I know? How do I know the difference between good and evil? And then every worldview also has to answer destiny. Where am I going from here? What's going to happen to me after I die? So the atheist has to answer all these questions. The Christian has to answer all these questions. The Buddhist has to answer all these questions. The, the Muslim, the Hindu, everybody has to answer these questions to help shape their worldview. Um, so those are the four questions that have to be asked. Those are the four questions that have to be answered. And then the answers to those four questions are going to be tested by the three ways that we test them. Are, they log- are those answers logically consistent? Is there empirical uh, adequacy in being able to evaluate whether or not these things are true? And is it existentially, uh, do, do we experience that reality? Um, and so is it, is it experientially relevant? And so in order to answer those four main questions, how did we get here? What, are, what is our purpose? How do we know right from wrong? And what happens to us when we die? In order to answer those four questions, there are five, that takes us to five, five disciplines that must be studied, that must be investigated, that must be used to answer those four questions. And those five disciplines are theology, which is the study of God, epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. How can we know anything to be true? Metaphysics, which is the study of reality. What, do we, what is real? What is not real? Ethics, which is the study of morality. How do we know right from wrong? And then anthropology, which is the study of man, humanity, mankind. Um, it's the study of our existence as, as, as humanity. Who are we? What are we? And how do we get here? And what's going to happen to us? And so those are the five areas of discipline that must be studied about each worldview in order to be able to answer those four questions of where do we come from and where, how do we know right from wrong why are we here and what's going to happen to us when we die? Those are the five areas. And so each worldview has to answer these questions. But what I've come to realize and what many have come to realize is that Christianity is the only worldview that satisfactorily answers all of these questions in all of these disciplines and actually actually holds up to the tests for truth. That the answers that Christianity gives to these things, how did I get here? Why am I here? How can I know right from wrong? And what's going to happen to me after I die? Only Christianity can answer these questions in such a way 
that the answers are logically consistent, they're empirically adequate, and they're experientially relevant, and they're coherent, and they correspond to the reality that we live in. And so that Christianity is the only worldview that satisfactorily answers all of these questions. And so that's how we can know by looking at Christianity, looking at atheism, looking at other world religions. That's how we can evaluate and work through these things and know that Christianity is true. Now, obviously, as I've explained uh, uh, with all these five disciplines, any question that you have about any worldview, Christianity, atheism, any other worldview, those are the two main ones we face in, in my generation uh, and, and around here locally. But any, any question that you have obviously has a lot that you have to work through to give answers to those questions. Um, but there's, so I can't talk about all kinds of things. I can't walk through all of these right now in this sermon and explain all the different details of all these different things. But I have worked through many, 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 many questions in life. I've worked through my own questions in coming to faith in Christ. I've helped other people work through their questions. Um, there's, there's so much depth to Christianity. There's so much... Uh, there's so much to, to our faith and how strong our faith is and how it's not afraid of questions. And so Ravi Zacharias spent his life as an apologist answering people's questions about the faith. Um, a little bit of his story of his life. Uh, he was raised uh, in India, and at 17, um, he had given, he was not he was not religious. Uh, he 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 didn't really um, he didn't really believe much of anything um, about God. But at seventeen, he decided to take his life, and he he failed. Thankfully, thank God. Um, and so he was laying in the hospital bed uh, for for many 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 days, and in India. And while he was in that hospital bed, a man came to him and gave him a Bible. And Ravi's mother was there with him in that hospital room, and she stayed by his side all the time, would not leave him. And so she began to read the Bible to him. And Ravi remembers um, in, in John, as she was reading through the Gospel of John to him, that Jesus said, because I live, you will live also, or you too shall live. And so... Ravi said he made a promise to God right then. He said, God, if you will get me out of this hospital bed, I will leave no stone unturned in pursuit of the truth. And so he spent the rest of his life pursuing truth and trying to help. And he, he found it. And then he studied and studied and studied. And he spent his life trying to share the truth with others. And he had such a huge heart for people. And one thing that he said that's very profound that, that has stuck with me and will stick with me, one statement he always made is when talking about when he would go to these different, he would go to different colleges and universities and, 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 and all places all around the world and preach on, the, on Jesus and preach on the truth of Christianity. And then they would do open forums where people would line up and they would ask questions one by one. Um, atheists and, and other religious uh, groups and anyone would all ask questions. And they would take the time to answer these questions for them. And one thing that Ravi always said that will stick with me is he said, behind every question is a questioner. And what he meant by that was, he wasn't concerned with the question being posed to him as much as he was concerned with the person posing the question. See, to him, it wasn't about winning a debate. It wasn't about winning an argument. For him, it was about winning people. See, he cared very deeply, not about his his own reputation or what people thought of him or whether people thought he was brilliant or not brilliant. He didn't think about himself. He always thought about 
others. He always thought about the other people asking the question because he know he knew, as we all know, that every single person is made in the image of God, and every single person is valuable, and you are valuable, and God loves you, and God values you. And so Ravi had a deep, deep love in his heart for all people, not just the people who he thought uh, could benefit him or the, the wealthy or, or the prestigious. No, he cared about all people the same, every single person. Um, one of the, at his memorial this past Friday, family members got up and talked, friends got up and talked, uh, co-workers got up and talked about his life, and one after another after another after another talked and, and shared about his love for people. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys that got up and talked was named Sanj. And so Ravi had asked uh, Sanj to take on a position at RZIM. And uh, Sanj said, at first was like shocked. I, he didn't know why he would choose him. But he said, okay, Ravi, I'll take, I'll take this position, but under one condition. He said that, that you will correct me because I have a lot to learn. And so I'll take this position if you will correct me. And so Ravi looked at him and said, okay, but I will do that under one condition. He said, Sanj, make sure you do for those that you know cannot do anything for you in return. And that was Ravi's heart. That was, that was truly Ravi's heart, that he cared about every single person and that he cared deeply about those who were oppressed or those who had nothing and those that he knew could do nothing for him in return. He cared deeply, deeply about everyone. And so he had this question, this philosophy in this heart of his that after every single place that he went to, that he, he prayed for those people by name and that he cared deeply about the people who asked the questions. And so he's always taught at RZIM, and, and, and I will always remember, and I always want to share with people, that when you are sharing your faith with others, that to remember that everyone who asks you a question about your faith and what you believe or makes a statement to you, but every behind every question posed to you is a questioner. And that questioner is made in the image of God and is valuable and is highly esteemed by God and is loved by God. And God died for that questioner. And God has extended an invitation of grace and forgiveness to that questioner. And we should take that very seriously as the children of God, that we take seriously the questions that people pose, knowing that there is a person behind every one of those questions. And so Ravi has had a huge impact on my life personally and will continue to have a huge impact, even though he has passed from this earth now. I will continue to read his books. I will continue to watch his videos and lectures. I will continue to learn from him and be molded and shaped by him as I continue in ministry on this earth, as he, even though he is already gone. And, and I am very grateful for his legacy that he left behind and, and the, the mission and the work that he has done for the kingdom of God while he was here. He was very, very, very faithful. And so I want to close... Uh, just by by mentioning uh, one thing, uh, one example, is that because I didn't have time to go into any defense of Christianity in itself, any any explanation of of uh, from someone who, because I know there's people listening and will hear this message um, from an atheistic stance. And I know there's going to be people who will look at these five things and, and off the top of their head they're going to say, these five things are exactly why I'm an atheist and why I don't believe in Christ. 
Um, these five things are exactly why I don't believe in miracles and, and why I only believe in the natural. Because, the, because they would say that there is no empirical adequacy to, to believe in miracles. There is no empirical evidence to believe in miracles. And, and, and everything must be explained through, through natural causes and explanations. And so I just want to take maybe five minutes to just, just speak to you right now. And just to help you understand, to take a second and, and, and think through this. Because it's not, as, it's not as if me as a pastor or as a Christian, it's not as if I haven't thought through these things. It's not as if I haven't thought through these questions in my road to faith and, and in my trying to wrestle with what is true. Is God real? Is God not real? And, and, and so I have worked through these things. I have worked through these questions. Maybe not all the deep to the details, maybe the same ones you've wrestled with, but I've thought of the big picture questions. And so I just want to help you to understand, even though you may not realize it, as someone who believes that there is no supernatural, that, that the natural world is all there is, the truth is what you believe is just as big of a miracle as what I believe. And l- let me help explain that for a second. See, my worldview has to answer the question of origins. How did we get here? How did the world get here? How did the universe get here? And the answer to that is that God, a supernatural being, created all of it. He spoke it all into existence. He brought the universe and the world and everything into existence. And you say, well, well, there's no evidence for that. There's no, it's all supernatural. It's all theory. And so you, you immediately dismiss it. But then you must answer the same question. And that question is, how did the universe come into existence? And so one way to pose it is, is this. If nothing existed... If there was no universe, if there were no planets, if there was nothing, and, and there absolutely nothing existed, if nothing existed, there would be no need for an explanation. You don't have to explain or give an explanation for nothing. There, there, there is no need for an explanation. But because something exists... Because there is existence, because we are real, because we are exist, because the world exists, because the universe exists, because there are stars, then there must be an explanation. And everything that exists from a natural stance, not from a supernatural like I believe, I believe in a supernatural being, but if you hold that there is no supernatural, there is no God, that everything can be explained from a natural stance, then you have to explain from a natural stance why anything exists at all. How did it come into existence? And there's only two answers for that. Either one, the universe came into existence from nothing, and that in itself is a supernatural phenomenon. It's not a natural one because nothing can't naturally produce something. Everything can't come into existence from nothing if nothing was there to begin with. Everything can't come into existence. Atoms can't come into existence. Molecules can't come into existence if they weren't there, if they didn't exist from nothing, and there'd be a natural explanation for that. There is no natural explanation for that. That's just as big of a supernatural miracle. Or the only other alternative is it's always existed. There was no beginning. That everything that exists now always existed. And if you will take the time to think that through, to think everything that exists now has always existed. There was no beginning before everything existed. It's always existed. That is not a natural explanation either. Because that doesn't explain where it come from. It doesn't explain why something exists rather than nothing. Why does anything exist? Why is there particles? Why does things exist? There is no natural explanation for that. That is just as much a supernatural explanation. And so therefore... 
all three answers. That God created everything. That everything came into existence from nothing. Or that everything has always existed as far back as you go. Those are all supernatural explanations. And so I beg you and plead with you to take the time to work through these things. Work through these questions and try to figure out which one does which one does hold up to the truth that we experience? Which one does hold up to what we actually see and experience from day to day? And I would love to work through those questions with you. I would love to help you work through all of those questions to come to the truth. Because Ravi knew that truth is not an idea. It's not an abstract concept. It's not something that, that, that you list a bunch of propositions that's impersonal. Ravi knew what Jesus told. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ravi knew that truth was not impersonal, that truth was a person. Truth is Jesus. And therefore, the pursuit of truth is the pursuit of a person. And so by pursuing truth, we pursue people. I pray that if you don't know Ravi Zacharias, if he has not had an impact on your life because you've never listened to anything he said, you've never read anything that he wrote, I pray that you would take the time to, to get one of his books and, and read what he says and, 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 and maybe watch some of his stuff on YouTube. He has a phenomenal way of explaining very complex issues, but he has... And an amazing way in which he does it by reaching to you personally. He speaks to you from his soul to your soul. That he cares about you. And it comes across in every one of his talks and every one of his messages. And the impact that he has had on his family and on the world has been a phenomenal and undeniably great impact. He has had a tremendous impact on the faith of people all around the world. He has been the greatest faith leader of this century. And I pray that I can be a tenth of what he has been in his life. That I could live a tenth as faithfully as he lived. There are so many things that I can look to his life and just say to myself, that's how I want to live. That's the way I want to treat people. That's how I want to talk to people. That's how I want to pursue truth. That's how I want to pursue people. And I pray that he has, has had or will have an impact on your life as well. He, Ravi will be greatly missed. But the work that he has done will continue to go on. And we as the members of the body of Christ are called to continue that work. And so I pray that you will search deeply for truth and that you will follow God's spirit as it guides you along through this life in studying his word and sharing that truth in your life with those around you. I love you, church. And I look forward to, to moving the kingdom forward with you from here on out. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who has come to live within us and change us. And Father, who has changed Ravi Zacharias. Father, we thank you for bringing him home to yourself. Father, we thank you for the ministry that he left us with, the, the, what he accomplished for your kingdom while he was here on this earth, all the work that you did to him and through him, through your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to be as faithful. Help us to be as loving. Help us to be as caring to the world in which we live and the people that we live around and close to and interact with. Father, I thank you. 
I thank you for raising up godly men and women all around this planet right now. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in the members of this church. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in me. And Father, I thank you for what you have planned in the days and weeks and years to come. Father, we live in an unstable time of unrest. But Father, we know that you are the answer, that you are the truth, that you are the way, and that you are the life. And so, Father, we we draw close to you and we hold tight to you, and we thank you. We thank you for giving us your word, for giving us your son, for offering an extension of, of forgiveness to us an opportunity to spend our eternity with you. Father, you are so good. And we can never, ever thank you enough for your goodness. We love you, Father. And we ask you to help us to navigate this life the way that you would. We ask you to help us to to show love to the world that we live in, to show love to our families, to show love to our neighbors and our co-workers. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your never-ending love for us. Father, please go with us. Please guide our conversations. Work on the hearts of those that we will speak, speak with before we ever get there and after we leave. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you, church. I'm looking forward to, to gathering together with you again soon. But until then, keep hope. Don't give up. Show that love that God has poured out on you wherever you go. And know that he is God and he is in control and he loves you. And what he has done through great men and women of the past, he can do through you and me. And that's exactly what he wants. He wants to love others through us. Let's open ourselves up to him to do just that. I love you and I'm praying for you.